This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are here with our favorite political gurus, Chuck Coughlin and Tom Ryan. Uh, one, we're going to talk later on about the pr- primary, most, spend most of our time talking about pre-primary prospect, but an observation going in, because I don't think we talked about it here. Legislature, in its final actions, uh, expands vouchers, adds $800 million for schools. It looks Awfully like the Paul Boyer discussion, the Paul Boyer <laughs> position. Uh, if you if you think back to on this show when we had Paul Boyer on when they're amidst a final discussion, it looks like uh, he got what he wanted. Chuck, I, you I, were in the room. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he got what he wanted plus a hundred million dollars because <laughs> the deal that you know he had negotiated uh, with House, you know that he went over and was part of that discussion with uh, Mr. Toma late in the. You know, around April, and said, you know, this is what he was looking for, and um, with Senator um, with Democrats in the Senate, and he went over and uh, laid that down, and then I think Mr. Toma went back to his own caucus and found that he didn't have the support for that. He, he had several Republicans who were walking away from that, didn't want to spend any money, and just wanted to do a zero budget, and that didn't fly. And so that left the Democrats with some leverage to ask for some additional money. And so they did, and they ended up getting a fairly robust um, bipartisan budget with a significant increase in investment uh, for K through 12 and uh, a poverty weight, a special ed weight. Um, they did quite a bit. And then, you know, to to the, the Republicans and to Boyer, they wanted the empowerment scholarships. Um and that morphed from, you know, a, a poverty weighted scholarship to the whole scholarship. Basically open the open the open the gates to those that want it. Yeah. I mean I, I get the debate. I understand what it is. I, I also hear, you know, Democrats saying that's gonna defund public schools. But if if what really happens is with all that additional money, um, it goes into, you know, with that poverty weight and everything, you're really putting a lot more money into poor school districts. Mm-hmm. If the kids don't leave, the money stays there. Yeah. So and I, to I, me, this things that would scare the school is because it's now absolutely open. You really don't know how many people are going to go. And well, so it's a big X factor. It's a that, business. You know, it's a, it's a business of well, competition. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a business in the sense though <laughs> you run your schools, you need to staff them ahead of time, you need to plan. And if all of a sudden in yeah. in August you find out that. Uh, uh, you don't have the enrollment you thought you did. Well, it's, they do that hundred day student count, yeah. anyways. They they've always done that, and that's what they base funding off of is that hundred day student count. But yeah, I mean that's uh, I, I really think this is probably the way the evolution of public education is going to continue to head in this direction of parental choice, um, and some kids who don't aren't afforded. Um, really good parents who are stuck in poverty. There's more money in the system now for to help mm-hmm. those kids get educated. The question I have about the more money, though, is is that it seems the Republicans, you know, for some of it was gun to the head. You want you want the uh, the uh, vouchers. You're gonna you're gonna fund public education a bit more. Do they come back next year and say, all right, I want that back? Well, the real cut it back. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen because mm-hmm. it's in the base. Yeah. I mean, they put six hundred million dollars in the base, which is incredibly complicated to remove once mm-hmm. that's in the base. But what they didn't do, which was discussed this time, was linking 
that stuff to the additional funding. So, in other words, pass the voucher bill, and if the voucher bill doesn't go into law, all the other funding goes away. They didn't have the Republican votes to do that, mm-hmm. so they had to drop the linkage, and now it's just sitting there alone. And I assume the Save Our Schools folks uh, and those will end up referring it and go they, to the ballot they take it to the ballot. They've, they've said as much. Yeah, but they got the clocks on them now. Yep. Um, and they but have they've proved that they can deliver. They, yes. <laughs> like nobody else in this state, they've proved that. I mean, you know, the schools are, it, it, just think about it, it's almost like, you know some of the churches in the in the sense that this is the advantage of the right the churches are, are can be a vehicle well those schools you're organized the teachers are organized by school they see one another all the time the the mechanism for it's it's like a a perfect political organization our, our state was organized at the height of the progressive era back in 2010 2012 we were a land grant uh state Tw- uh, 1910 19, yeah i did that <laughs> again by 100, 100 years Tom. oh my goodness <laughs> chuck comes in and well i get taken. all I get all bamboozled here. 1910, yeah. yes. But but here's the point. That was also the peak of uh, the concept of public education. Mm-hmm. And our it's it's enshrined in our Constitution that public education from uh, first grade all the way through 16, meaning universities, mm-hmm. uh, should be free or nearly free. Well, the so, universities have uh, they've proven with the universities that they can. What's, uni- what's nearly free is yeah, uh, I, oh, evolving that, concept. That, that, yeah, with the Cromco decision, that, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. But here's, here's what I want to say about that. Arizona, like many other states, has, has honored the concept of public education and has seen its real value. And I, I honestly believe it, uh, because of public education, it's why we have Intel here. It's why we have Boeing here. It's why we have Northrop Grumman here, uh, you know, Orbital Sciences. We have a lot of powerful uh, companies here in large measure because we do have a, a strong public education system. But there are these efforts to defund it. And and a lot of this ESA money that we're, we're talking about here, it may end up at Brophy or it may end up at, uh, you know, uh, the, the Ben Franklin School. Well, it's problematic because uh, we, we're, we're doing a lot to gut the power of the public education in the state of Arizona. For example, no longer have to have uh, college degrees to become a teacher in the state of Arizona. That is a a bad turn of events. I cannot imagine under any scenario where somebody looks at that and says, "Yeah, good idea. Let's have somebody undereducated educating the students." So we have we have this we have this attitude, unfortunately, emanating from the state legislature and the governor's office um, about how can we puncture public education. People respond to that. So it's it's not just the the Arizona SOS people are so well organized. They are. Uh, but they're getting a lot of emotional juice and fuel from what they're seeing out of the ninth floor in, in the state legislature. There's a, there's a lot of truth in what he's saying and, and what Tom says. But the the thought that I I hugged throughout this session <laughs> was we're putting a lot more money into public education, and that's a good outcome. Mm-hmm. How many people take up take the scholarship up? Or how many people actually end up doing that? I mean, JLBC's uh, the Joint Legislative Budget Committee, I think, was thinking that it's going to be like three and a half percent. But the the notion I have a, a friend who I go to church with who's uh, one of our elders in our church and he's a principal in South Phoenix and I said, you know, you're going to get more money. He goes, I know that and I'm really grateful for that. So you know, it's an evolutionary concept that we're working on here and it's uh, it, we're in this process of change. And if, we're going to see where. Now, we have, school, t- question to you: uh, We have schools that are about to start within a month. Yeah, uh, is this in effect for that? Or is that is this more a year down the road? 
No, this is for the upcoming budget year. So okay. the budget was funded, you know, goes into effect uh, 90 days after the legislative session. So, um, and I, I think, so it's, I think it's there's potentially a, this year, I, except God, that parents are unlikely to is, act. This so is where I need a budget analyst. <laughs> this yeah. is where I need one of the brainiacs down there. But I think the school funding is a year lag. Mm-hmm. I think there's a year lag in that okay. system, that it's always the following year. You, that it you kind of would like to see that lag just because everybody does need to plan. And this yeah. is one of the horrible things about a last minute budget for this. Try to run any organization where they're telling you two weeks into the fiscal year what your budget is for the year that already started. Welcome to the state legislature. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have two quick thoughts, uh, Chuck, and let me let me see what you think. Number one, um, I, I, uh, the general concept of, hey, we're putting more money into public ed, that sounds great. And I'm I'm not disagreeing with that. But much like what we did in Iraq, it's how you put the money in that matters. I mean, we we lost billions of dollars in Iraq because it, there was no control, there were no there was no oversight. Um, do we have that same level of oversight here? And secondly, I think different uh, different school districts are going to be impacted very differently. If you have somebody in in uh, Mohawk Welton down by mm-hmm. Yuma versus somebody in Mesa, East Mesa. Uh, the financial impact is going to be substantial for East Mesa, whereas Mohawk Welton, it's not going to change much. Yeah. I mean, the smartest guy in the state that I know about this is Chuck Essex, who's the uh, uh, school um, business officials uh, chief budget guy. And I ran it by him and he's like, man, getting $650 million or $550 million into the base budget is a significant boost to state public education across the state. It is a, the biggest thing that's happened in a long time. Getting the um, the poverty weight in there, getting the disabled weight in there is a significant help to all of those schools who were complaining that we don't have enough money to teach our kids. So so and, this is a new thing in the budgeting that there yeah. had not previously been waiting for no. poverty and special needs and no. things like that? Because that's no. huge. It does not a big, cost the same amount to educate no. all of our kids. Right. And they acknowledged that this mm-hmm. year. Bob Robb complained about it, but they acknowledged <laughs> they acknowledged it in the in the state budget and uh, um, and did something about it. We'll be back. We'll, we'll we'll be talking about the upcoming primary elections at all sorts of levels when we return in just a moment. The Think Tank KTAR News on ninety two three FM and KTAR dot com. Okay, talking uh, politics now. Um, uh, Chuck, you're, you probably get your hand on the finger of the state legislature as, as well as others. There's 30 districts, and as well we know, there's only a handful that are competitive. Let's start with the ones that are not competitive. And no, I'm not, I ask you to recite, they just right. want big numbers. 30, how many are solid Republican? How many are solid Democrat? Where there's 14 dumped? safe, of the 30, yeah. there's 14 safe Republican seats, according to the Independent Re- uh, mm-hmm. Redistricting Commission. There's 12 safe Democratic seats and four actual swing seats. In um, other words, to win the to win the legislature, the Democrats have to run the table on the swing, so-called swing ones. Uh, to uh, probably more realistically in terms of pipe dream hopes would be win three out of four and you can you got 50 50 and you could play the game I looked at those districts those swing districts look like they skew pretty Republican so not only are they 14 12 they they look 
like they got three or four of the others. Well, but here's the problem. Um, the Republican primary has a significant war going on in all four, in five Republican districts mm-hmm. in Maricopa County where there are election-denying Republicans uh, running against incumbent state legislators mm-hmm. for the most part that aren't election deniers, and they're running to the right of them, which would create an opportunity— should that more rightist candidate get elected mm-hmm. in the primary. So take, for instance, um, um, uh, Senator Pace in the East Valley. Um, you know, it's a swing district. Um, they've, got, they've got East Mesa? Uh, no, it's West Mesa. Okay. A um, little bit of Tempe. Um, okay, so and, this is the old, yeah. uh, like, Jerry Lewis area. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's pretty much it. Well, and before so, that, it was somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> Russell Pierce. Yeah. Uh, and so so y- you have a race out there with a Democratic opponent, but he, the pace is being challenged from the right mm-hmm. um, by somebody who is much to the right of him. And then in the House, you have two Republicans running and you have two Democrats running. And so if if you I could see in a cycle, maybe maybe not this cycle, because mm-hmm. this cycle is tends to be more Republican. Mm-hmm. Right. But the big question is, who's going to turn up? Who's going to show up mm-hmm. in the primary um, and in what numbers? And does that voter enthusiasm that was there in the 20 cycle carry over? Um, do unaffiliated voters uh, participate. They can participate in in primaries. Their historical participation level is about 8%. Do they participate? Um, or and, and does organizations like Turning Point turn out, um, tr- you know, Republican voters who have never voted before, who are angry that constituency that they recruit? The do, folks who originally turned out for Trump in greater numbers than anybody projected. And, and they're growing those. Mm-hmm. They're, I know for a fact because I know Republican district chairmen and people who have, who have gotten besieged by request from these voters to be precinct committeemen who have never voted before. They've never voted in an election, and now they want to be a precinct committeeman. And the, the, and the district chairman in most instances is going, thanks very much. We'll, we're going to move on and get a little more experience. But others are saying, yeah, come on in. And so it, it'll be interesting to see all the dynamics that will take place in the Republican primary. And underneath that rubric, you know, what what choices then are preordained in the general election um, for, you know, um, the Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers, has a significant challenge um, from the right, uh, from former Senator David Farnsworth, uh, that's trying to knock him uh, out of moving over to the Senate. That That's a significant challenge. And, and that district is not one of those swing districts. But do you think... If Farnsworth gets the nomination, could he be perceived as so extreme that he might be in jeopardy? I don't. Hang on. I'm going to look because I think I know the answer. But here's the answer to that question. There is an independent candidate running in that district, but there's no Democrat running mm-hmm. in that district. Which so, is exactly what so, the Democrats would want. So you, basically, you, you could potentially yeah. get an independent yeah. elect. The significance is if you run a Democrat, these yeah. hardcore Republicans are never going to vote for a Democrat. Yeah. But they might vote for an independent. If there's a Democrat on the ballot too, they get all the Democratic. They get Democratic votes, and it never happens. In, independent only, and it right. becomes possible for someone other than a Republican. And they got a single shot guy, person, mm-hmm. Helen Hunter, running in the House as a mm-hmm. Democrat against two very conservative Republicans. 
Um, but the district itself is about a 10-point Republican registration advantage. Which is so, big. Yeah, that's a 43-23. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, but you have 33% of others that yeah. tend to turn up uh, or that are in the registration. I, I have one question about the turnout. You know, uh, it, it has been axiomatic in American politics that Republicans vote more loyally than them. They show up more yep. often. Than, but historically, it's also been the case that Republicans were the more educated party. That is now not true. The Democrats are the more educated party. Education is correlated with voting. Other than this activation of new groups, could that presumption that Republicans voted no in greater numbers be in jeopardy due to that underlying demographic shift? That's a great point. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the new demographic trend mm-hmm. that's happening is that the Republican Party is becoming more the working class party mm-hmm. that's more multicultural and multiracial to go out and identify it's the exact anger. opposite of what it happened. Yeah, exactly. It's walked away while the Democrats have you know, identity politics them mm-hmm. their themselves out of that constituency. Mm-hmm. So, I you know these are these are fun things to watch. Yeah, the, no, the we, countervailing factor is if you bring into the Republican Party activated people who've never voted before, then you you upset that dynamic, which was always it has been higher education correlates with higher voting. Yeah, and I mean we're gonna see. That's that's why Donald <laughs> Trump got elected, and uh, yeah, you know, holy moly. So the, that's the dynamic that's taking yeah, place. Got elected and blew apart all of the models which yeah. were based on prior history. He a rare instance in in which the prior history turned out not to be predictive. We got yeah, thirty he, seconds, and he and last time with his railing against early voting, mm-hmm. um, he completely flipped the cycle that oh, time. Used to be cut Republicans, off his own arm. Used yeah. to be Republicans uh, overran yeah. early yeah. voting. Now they win early election day voting. And now all the Republican candidates in these primaries are telling their people to vote early. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the logical consistency has never been a strong suit in politics. We'll yeah. return with our ace group of uh, political prognosticators when we return after the break in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. All right, we're talking politics, pre-primary election uh, for congressional seats. Let's keep away from the numbers. Nobody knows the new numbers. But we have a couple of interesting things. Uh, Tom O'Halloran, incumbent Democrat, is now in a very heavily Republican district. Uh, Does he have a prayer? Uh, He has a prayer. I I think he's played it fairly conservatively in Congress. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's he would be more of a moderate than, uh, you know, like an AOC. Yeah, Um, I I think he's been very smart. He's been very uh, high profile and visible within his district. Um, He's not shied away from town hall meetings, things like that. it, it, you know, former police officer. Uh, he's, you know, it's it's a tough race for him, and it it is possible that he could lose. But I think uh, if you asked him to do all the right things, I believe Tom O'Halloran, in terms of his campaign, has been doing all the right things. I don't know. What do you think, Chuck? He's represented that district well for mm-hmm. a long time. He's well regarded by a lot of people. He's got a great field operation, and it's a fifteen percent <laughs> Republican district. Right. This and, is a but, toughie. And, he, and here <laughs> becomes the issue: is you know, it's looking like Walt Blackman, who's the former legislator, African-American from northeastern Arizona, uh, is going to win the primary. I think he's probably headed in that direction. Um, 
Well, it's pretty dang conservative. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's out there on the on the fringe of a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, and it presents an opportunity for Tom to narrate that in the district. And um, that's exactly the point you referred to right. earlier in the legislature. Right. If right. you get a very mainstream Democrat against a pretty far out there Republic, uh, Republican, can you win in a Republican district? I think so. Here's what happened. You, you've got you've got so many of the Republican Party in Arizona now who've, who've they, they haven't just moved far to the right. They're off the cliff. And so for the for a Democrat to come in and just be uh, center to center right like Tom O'Halloran has, I believe uh, you, you give yourself a real shot at, at, at being successful. Yeah, the, the 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 countervailing wisdom there would be in a gubernatorial cycle, which we're in. Mm-hmm. It's a predominantly Republican cycle. And so what would not logically be that case in a presidential cycle makes it significantly harder in a gubernatorial cycle because of the advantage in Republican turnout. He needs a lot of he Republicans who are voting, maybe straight Republican for everything else, saying no, and this needs, black man uh, is too far he, out I there. Mean, anybody, you got to overwhelmingly win on affiliated voters. You got to hold your own party. And the, in order and get to get the independence, and, and you need about twenty percent of Republicans to walk with you. And, and in his case, he has some he has some dings on his personal record in the background that uh, opposition research. If they, yeah. if O'Halloran plays it well during the general election, and he's got money, and he's he's, he's, a, he's a veteran. I mean, <laughs> he'll it'll be an interesting race it, to watch. That's going to be. I agree. That's going to be a, a very interesting race to watch. All right, Central Phoenix District, Stanton, incumbent, but now in a basically a toss up district. Yeah, my my thought is that that uh, I think he's probably safer than he thinks. I think he's mm-hmm. really concerned about the race. It is a it should sw- be. It, should it be. is a swing district. But as we remember, the old nine used to be a swing district mm-hmm. too, and it never went Repu- never mm-hmm. went Republican. The only Republican ever to win it was McCain. Um, and so it's really interesting to see how this one's going to behave. It, it does appear to be a bit more Republican, but it's got, you know, it, it took a lot of Phoenix out. So his mayorship in Phoenix really doesn't tra- Phoenix is hardly travel well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is Tempe. This is um, parts of West Mesa. This is parts of South uh, of Northern Chandler mm-hmm. and Ahwatukee. Mm-hmm. He's got Ahwatukee in here. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know how he navigates that. Who the Republican is that's going to—that's what's going to matter. Yeah, I mean, my my read on it right now is the person running the best campaign. It's a very crowded field, but uh, Tanya Wheelis Contreras is the one that former uh, executive director of the Bankers Association. She was the chief of staff here in Arizona for. Uh, the two-time losing U.S. Senate candidate, uh, but you know she's she's got some chops and she's got um, she's been around. So it'll be interesting to see if she survives the Republican primary. What about Schweikert? Any uh, on, he's on the Republican <laughs> side. Is is there any jeopardy there? He's <laughs> you know the funny thing is he's you know he he just seems to somehow like flotsam and jetsam float on top of the waves all the time. Ethics problems, uh, fines, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Nothing. He, he he just seems to be a bit untouchable, and and he's not generating lots of money. 
Um, his, I think it was his former campaign treasurer, or his, yeah. Former, yeah, it was now running against him. They're involved in litigation over whether or not he there was a homophobic slur used in a in, in an ad campaign. And but, but typically speaking, he's he, he, Schweikert's doing exactly what he should be because they're talking about his yeah. bad behavior, not Schweikert's bad right, behavior, right? No, I, which I, is perfect politics. I, uh, I, I, my nod goes to Schweikert. I don't know about you. I, I'm, Schweikert is such a good politician. He he is so like you said. If, if he by floats. good politician you well, mean <laughs> I, he floats. I mean he manages his way through all of the debris field yeah. and 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 uh, presents himself in electoral scenarios that look fairly good for him. Uh, I would think that district over time, Mike, will be a competitive district. It mm-hmm. will change over time. Uh, That's and, been the, kind of the trend is yeah. the more central cities have becoming more competitive and the rural areas are becoming a lot more Republican. I, I'm gonna, at, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I just before you get off Schweiker, because I want to say one more thing about him. I think one thing he's done that's been very smart is while Gosar and, and yeah. uh, Biggs and Lesko are going crazy over January 6th and stop the steal. Schweikert has kept a quiet, low profile through all of this. Which is very appropriate for that district. Absolutely. Where a lot of that crazy yep. stuff doesn't play. Correct. Right. He's, he's I, th- smart. I, I think the cycle may, uh, we'll see in the next presidential yeah. cycle if he gets a more significant challenger, but I think he's going to survive this. Because it's a heavy, everything it says it's going to be a heavy yep. Republican year. It's yep. not a year, yeah, it's pretty hard for an re- incumbent Republican to lose yeah. in, in yeah. what looks like this environment. Uh Tom, you were uh, before we started. Uh, we turned on the microphone. You were talking about uh, Andy Biggs has an independent challenger. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think Andy Biggs has some trouble. First off, I was uh, his uh, reporting came out today, and he's actually spent way more money on legal fees with Statecraft than uh, he's actually taken in in donations this uh, quarter. So that is not a winning formula for campaign success. Now, Andy's had a pretty easy walk out there. And, and he's got a heavily loaded district, 20-some-odd yeah, percent. Yes, yes. Now. But uh, I think he may be going the way of Russell Pierce, and I, I, I can't prove this, but I suspect that the uh, the Latter-day Saints are behind Clint Smith. And if you know anything about Clint, Clint is a well-recognized uh, Mormon attorney from Mesa, uh, financially well-to-do, comes from a, a, a highly regarded family, and he's running as an independent. And he's running, so far, a very good campaign. Uh, it is it is a bit low-key, but I think he is going to serve as a, a wonderful contrast to the craziness of Andy Biggs. It'll be like Jerry Lewis uh, in, in Russell Pierce well, when Pierce got recalled. It's the same people working on this. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> That's the, the crowd. That, it, it is, but here's the difference. What do you it's, think is the difference? He's, he's got a Democrat running in the race. The Democrat, that district, like we said, is so Republican that you cannot afford to lose a single vote on the Democratic side or the unaffiliated side in order to win. And if the Demo- there's a Democrat on the ballot— What's he, his name? He works for the— Ramos. Ramos. Uh, he works in the legal department at the Gila River Indian Community. He's very proud that he collected the signatures, and he's on the ballot, and he's not getting off the ballot. And he's a total spoiler. He will. He delivers. It's just is it, it a personal delusion? I I don't know. I don't it know because he sure as heck is not making a friend in the no, Democratic no, no. Party. He, it's a personal delusion. Well, 
Okay, the Arizona Democratic Party is a whole other topic. No. That's spin yeah. the wheel and pick an issue. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they're not, they're not recruiting like the Republican Party. They're not helping people get in place like the Republican Party, and so you end up with situations like this. Chuck and I were just talking off uh, the mic here about the situation in Utah, the U.S. senatorial race. Um, where um, Mike or what's his name? The anyway, the, the Democratic yes. Party has agreed not, not to run to, anybody, not to run anybody against the independent. There, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a high likelihood that uh, Senator Mike Lee goes down as a result of the, the Democratic. The, the fellow who ran for president, right? Yes, uh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm blanking. Um, we're all blanking on the name. Yeah, I know him too. He's, I've met him. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. He's a former CIA, CIA officer in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. In order for those types of things to work, you got to run the table. Yes, you have to be able to absolutely run the table. And you can't have a you weak Democrat getting. Oh wait a minute, four percent. You can't yeah. let him get four percent. Russell of the vote. Pierce had a third party candidate, in and he Olivia. got exposed for it. And who did she, that? She, Olivia she Cortez. Got, <laughs> she got exposed, and and she, she was not a very yeah. credible. I think there I mean, was some legal got representation. Yeah, yeah you know, crazy Mr. lawyers Ryan get involved may, in these yes, things. Mr. Ryan may have had something to say about that. All right. One more congressional that is of yep. interest to me. We'll let the others pass because I think they're foregone yep. conclusions unless somebody wants to disagree. Kirkpatrick is retiring. There's yep. a district in southeast Arizona. Looks to be competitive on paper, but it's a rural district. That says it's moved to be a more Republican district the way they drew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Juan Siscomone, um uh, is a guy who's running, um, associated with Ducey, with the Republican establishment, with uh, the Arizona Chamber of Commerce. Uh, by all accounts, a good guy. I haven't spoken to him personally, um, but he has got a good campaign going and it will likely be the winner. The big contest is on the left um, with Daniel Hernandez and the state senator uh, from Tucson, and I'm going to kick myself. But her, Hernandez is was the staffer to Gabby Gibbard. Gabby Gibbard, yep. right? Yep. Was, uh, and, hero and, in that. And you have this it? pretty intense fight on mm-hmm. the left as to who's going to win that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel has a representation of being more of the business friendly dem- Democrat. Um, great guy, very been a good uh, representative down at the state uh, legislature. Um, but we'll see if he can win that. I, I, if he can win that, I, I'd say he's got a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, if he, if the other party wins it, I would say that Siscomone is probably a better bet to prevail. What is that? What do you think about the specter of Gabby Giffords mm-hmm. in Tucson uh, helping Hernandez? I mean, we're, they're about to come out with a, uh, a, a, a dramatization of uh, her recovery process, and it's very heroic when you look at the trailer for the thing. But do you think that Gabby Gifford can be the uh, the jet fuel to get him across the finish line? It could line? be. I mean, the the divisions in as you just said, the divisions in the Democratic. Party. So Kristen Engel is the other um, That's candidate. Right, right, right. right. Um, and um, so you have the divisions down there of the Grijalva wing of the faction uh, and the Ga- Gabby, if there is one, a more you know moderate wing of the party. And so there's a little uh, little uh, uh, you know little battle going on down there between them. And so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I, my money's going to be on but, the Giffords faction. What? But yeah, what? I, I maybe. I mean, anyway, <laughs> we'll see, and then we'll see. My bet is on Siscomoni at the end of the day. 
We have to break when we return. Donald Trump's coming to Arizona this weekend. We're no, going to talk about he's not. He's he's, he's bail- not. well. He has to delay because uh, of Miss uh, his his ex wife's death. So oh, it'll be okay. next Saturday. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Let's about and uh, wrap this show when we come back in a moment in the think tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, Mike O'Neill here, back with Chuck Coughlin and Tom Ryan, who just corrected me because he's got his phone on and uh, and uh, <laughs> Donald Trump is coming to Arizona, but not this weekend. He's coming next. He's coming to uh, 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 pine for Blake Masters and no doubt Carrie Lake as well. Uh, it seems what I've seen so far, he's done a lot more for Masters than he has for Lake. I think maybe being just the lay of the land there is nobody's heard of any of these guys. And uh, according to uh, High Ground Paul, uh, basically, he got a little bit of a bump and a little bit of a bump in a multi-candidate field of of nobody's maybe enough. Right. Um, The difference between the Senate Senate campaign and the gubernatorial campaign is the number of candidates, competitive Mm -hmm. candidates. So there's a number of competitive Republicans. You got Mr. Lehman. You have Mr. Brnovich. Uh, maybe Mick McGuire is in that league, and then you have Mr. Masters. Uh, And so you have a a very diverse field, and what has been proven to be the case around the country is when Trump comes in and endorses late um, and and in a a big field, it can make a difference because it gives them an 8 or 10% bump. And what you and need, in a multi-candidate right, field, that's a lot. That's a lot because you you really need twenty. You need thirty percent, thirty-five percent to win the race, at, versus a fifty percent or close to fifty percent to win the race, and that that can be the difference. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. He's uh, you know his uh, one of the lead stories in the Republic today was or this week was uh, is Trump losing his grip, and I, I think. Uh, and they're talking about his, uh, you know, his endorsements, which seems to be a mixed bag so far. I agree, and I think it's going to be you're, you're going to see some. He's going to have a hard time in Arizona. I know he still he himself is still very popular, uh, but you look at all the missteps that Carrie Lake is making right now, and and Karen Taylor Robeson is making all the right steps, and she's steadily closing the gap. Uh, this is this has been Carrie Lake's race to lose, and I think she's about to lose it. She was yeah. in here, and I listened to her, and I said, she is just on message on every point. It's, you know, she's, it, one also senses that, you know, she's playing a lot further right than she probably really you is, need, but really she's doing to. it really well. Yeah, um, but the 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 question there is, can she broaden that base of support out? Um, I think she's been narrating a campaign, just as you said, that narrative hadn't changed. Mm -hmm. It is the same thing today, tomorrow, and the next day, while Taylor's, you know, got the endorsement of the governor now, got the... you know, got the endorsement of the Border Patrol now. Got she's moved and got the endorsement of Salmon. You know, she's moved the ball and the perspective. And you know, we saw, you know, that that undecided in that race dropped to about twenty percent. So there's still these voter cues going on out there. You know, Karen went from single digits to now in the 30s. And of course, she hadn't. Nobody so, had any idea who she was at right. the start. You, you clearly got momentum on the mm-hmm. side. She has the resources to fight. Um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a bomb. Yeah, I was a lot it's more going down to the. Wire. I was a lot more impressed by the direction of the movement. Yeah. 
than the fact that in your last poll, she's still a little bit behind, but I'm looking at trajectory rather. The trend, right. You know, right, it's right. This, this is the Gretzky thing. But you it, look where the puck is going, not where it's at. <laughs> right. But everybody wants to make this the proxy war, mm-hmm. right? Everybody wants to go, oh, this is Trump, this is versus her. Well, Trump has and, wrapped, and wrapped himself around Carrie right. Lake. But it always, it, this is a uniform thing about campaigns. We all know this. It's not about endorsements. It's about the candidate. Mm-hmm. And and the candidate has to narrate a campaign that fits the profile that get, portrays confidence to the electorate that she she or he, he or she can do the job. Are you saying that the that by going after Megan McCain, she's not projecting confidence that she could it's, do this? It's job? not. It's not a broadcast. It's it's like you're playing an away game. Ah. She's playing away game when she's in a fight with with Megan McCain. That's not a place where she should be dwelling with her time. What about Barbara Seville? Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the, yeah. There's all kinds of things where, you know, she's playing to a Twitter audience or to that very narrow audience. And Karen's not getting caught in that. She's running her own campaign instead of, you know, running a campaign at the base. And right. so I, I sense it's always about that. All the national media people are in town now talking about, oh, this is a proxy war. This is a proxy. War. Yeah. I well, get that. If you're, if you're writing for a national paper, that's the only story that's right. of interest. But it comes down to candidates. <laughs> yep. Who's the better candidate? Well, what it, do voters think of that if, candidate? If you're Katie Hobbs, I think you're rooting for Kerry Lake right now. Oh, man. Yeah. With pom-poms and jumping <laughs> up and down, I think. You're, yeah, you're, I've always had a problem with that kind of a concept, though. You're, yeah. You party should be picking someone not hoping that the other one picks a real dog right. to run against you. Because what if you lose? Yeah. yeah. You, well, well, plus, it's not healthy for the for the state of Arizona. Yeah. You want you want two candidates that somebody looks at and goes, oh, tough choice. Yeah. Uh, tough choice in a good way, not like right. the Wendy Rogers, Kelly Townsend, tough choice. <laughs> Question about uh, Katie Hobbs. Uh, the campaign has gone invisible because it looks like she coasts to victory. Does that hurt her? In the can end? I can I pick this one? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. She is doing what Terry Goddard has done. She has done what so many others do. They look at it and say, I got to be quiet. I'm going to keep my powder dry during the primary season and I'll pick it up in the general. We're over on the Republican side. uh, There's a Donnybrook going over there and they're they're sucking all the oxygen out of the room. And And somebody, however, may come out of that race battered. Yeah, but 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 known. I've never thought that that was a good idea. It, you need somebody who's a good retail campaigner. And uh, on a personal level, I like Katie Hobbs a lot, but she's not a good retail campaigner. And, you, you know, you, Carrie Lake, putting aside her craziness, I don't like Carrie Lake. But by God, that lady is a good retail campaigner. She mm-hmm. is out there bringing in crowds. She's talking to people. Uh, she's got her name out there. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with uh, Tom. It, having a competitive primary always helps the winner of the campaign. You know, you go, you get into the bruised nature of the candidate, but, you know, it, it sharpens the candidate. Yes. Um, it sharpens the exercise of the candidate's mind. I mean, you know, everybody says, you know, going way back in the history book here, when we were running Fife's campaign in the 90s, you know, it was like, oh, such a great campaign. Yeah, we ran a good campaign. But Fife was the best candidate I ever worked for because he he was constantly on his game. You know, we had to run against Barbara Barrett in the primary. Yeah, she was smart. That tough was, lady. That was tough. Yep. 
And we were constantly on our game there. And then we ended up get drawn Eddie Basha, which was the worst of all possible worlds because he was the most popular guy in Arizona. Loved him. And and a tr- I did, too. I felt bad about what we ended up doing to him eventually. But he, you know, but Fife always stuck to his guns. He was a great candidate. I'm never, ever. I learned a giant lesson in the next campaign I ran. I'm like, I'm handing these candidates like 38-ounce Louisville sluggers, and they're dropping them in the back. Batter's box because <laughs> Fife would swing him. Fife would swing him like a toothpick. He'd crush people with him, and you're like, "Oh my god!" It was just, it was such a, a wake up call for me. The news about Katie Hobbs earlier on was the black staffer got fired, and she was involved in. The, is that a dead issue? Or does no, that come back in November? It's, oh, it's coming back, and and she she has never effectively dealt with that. Sadly, I mean, a bit. She's I've apologized and everything. There is a narrative there that she has that has never been used by her, and. Uh, uh, and, and unfortunately, she has sat quietly hoping that it would all disappear. You never, ever, ever do that. And I'm I'm not a Chuck Coughlin, but you draw the sting, you get it over with, yep. and you deal with it. Yep. Out of time. Hope we can get you guys back on primary uh, primary week afterwards for, for a replay here. Uh, Think Tank, I want to reach me. MikeO'Neill.org is the website, and that's a vehicle for getting Unaffiliated me, voters but... can vote in the primary. Get out there. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. There you go. See you next week in the Think Tank.